This podcast contains language that is not appropriate for children. This includes anti-vax, MMS, Andrew Wakefield, and fuck. Tonight's episode of the Science Enthusiast podcast is brought to you by Hamilton. But I heard it's overrated, so whatever. My whole thing about that... Well, I've I've haven't oh, seen it, it and I've no, no I, real. I listen no to real. the I listen to the soundtrack all the time, like. Oh, like, I didn't even know lot. it was a thing until after this weekend. Oh, it's a, my it's whole a thing. My, my, kids my whole love it. my whole thing about it is like, well, for one, Pence isn't even upset. Yeah. About about getting called out, like, and even and when you read like what was actually said. To pay, like no part of it was actually rude or mean or, no. or anything at all. No. But what 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 really gets me and is that Donald Trump. Fuck, we made it like how many minutes? We made well, it one yeah. minute. But but here's the thing. But like, Donald Trump is so fucking good at manipulating people and getting people to talk about what he wants to talk about that he successfully got. Most of pe- most people on social media to talk about his dipshit tweets that he sent, saying demanding an apology, instead of in, instead of everybody talking about how he paid out twenty five million dollars to settle Trump University, but it's not an admission of guilt. Even though if you go back and listen to what his own fucking words have said, he said if you ever settle a lawsuit, it's an admission of guilt. You fucking dumbass. <sighs> tell, tell us <sighs> how you tell us how you really feel. But God, he's so but, fucking awful. But do it quick because my my children upstairs are like, just yeah, and I'm 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 literally yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, I'm, I'm we're, literally we're, we're, sitting in <laughs> sitting sitting in my parents' van right now because my dad is installing tile in yeah, my upstairs bathroom and I'm not going to tell him hey could you, could you not install tile for me uh, since uh, in my in my new house uh, that I just moved into and am still moving into. No, we're just recording under really odd circumstances right now. Under my duress, children, one yeah, might say. Under duress. My, my kids are like, <laughs> I, I gave them a snack and they're watching Blaze and the Monster Machines. And I'm just like hoping that nobody dies while I'm down in the basement for like a few minutes. So let's let's get it. Ooh, rolling, and I got I yeah, and I got 58 percent of my battery yeah, remaining, so and it was it was plugged in when yeah. I walked out here or before yeah. I walked out so here. Let's, so let's we go are on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, I don't I don't know I don't know who would still be listening, but if you are, welcome to the Science Enthusiast Podcast. My name is Dan, and as always, I'm joined by my pretty all right friend Natalie. Yeah. Hey. I added I, I impromptu the eh, yeah. there that wasn't yeah. written. Yeah, on, well on I'm Google Doc. I'm all right and I'm and I'm glad to be here. Um though I have it's let's see, it's six thirty eight PM right now on Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, and very shortly I'm gonna be driving to Connecticut um this evening. <laughs> and so that's, that's as you say that my dad my dad walks out of my garage looks at me he's like what the fuck is this guy doing and now he's closing the garage right. yeah so, so so this is this is us right now he's about um, to cut some tile is what I'm saying yeah <laughs> and we're and we're just kind of introing this this episode of an interview that we have already recorded um a while back which oh thank Christ that we already recorded because how the hell would we do it tonight we, no the, the whole episode would just be us being like all right this is this is a 10 minute episode of us trying to say yeah. a few things before <laughs> we, we have to get the not fuck even to whatever yeah 
No. In a not even 10 minute segments, just, hey, uh, hold on, I gotta go do this. Or my dad's literally cutting tile in my garage 10 feet like, away from me. My children are fighting over to... like, goldfish crackers or something. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> we have an interview. So, with anyway, him. we got a God of the Week. I oh, should have yeah. said thank Christ. So I should should have said thank Ra. Thank Ra. Okay, so. Real short and sweet, Ra was the Egyptian creator god. So supposedly he created himself out of primordial chaos. Like, ooh, ah, that's amazing, isn't it? And then mankind is made from his tears. So, right? Sure. So even though he's super powerful, right? We are like mostly water, so. We are. So we are Ra's tears. That, that checks so, out. That's consistent yeah. so far. So he has a weird relationship with this sky goddess that also, I guess, existed. Um, because every night, Ra has to travel through her mouth and battle like nightmares inside of her. I'm like, I'm just telling you what I what I read. So he survives this perilous journey every time and he exits just in time to bring a new day to the world. Day, night, sky goddess, Ra. This is how this is how everything what, happens. What orifice do you think he comes out of? You know what? I, I don't know, but I mean, gods, and they don't mind don't going he, he in orifices. Be, Remember the one who wanted to go in a cavernous vagina that time? I mean, can't we can't be sweated like, out because that would, yeah. if you're sweating sweating out, that you're dealing, getting into like kind of teleportation. I don't, yeah, I don't want to re, know. Reconstructing and, and, and that that's that's a whole thing. I don't want to know what he I'm comes sure out of. Egyptians knew about. No, so so anyways. Oh, well, um, fuck. Egyptians had aliens helping them build the pyramids, so I forgot. Well, God and they, they also had Maybe one of my teleportation. one of my favorite stories ever, like the Golden Dick story. So like we they they bring a lot of good mm-hmm. god stuff to our lives here on this show. So <laughs> so we yeah. So um Ra, thank you for creating yourself out of chaos and going through the sky goddess's mouth to bring us new days. It it just it, it's always weird. They're all weird, but it's something. And um, it's almost like they don't really exist. It's it's almost like somebody made this shit up. But I don't know. I don't. I know. mean, I'm just saying. I'm Maybe. Just so tonight we are thrilled to be joined by Concordance, the um, brains and voice behind his popular self-titled YouTube channel. Um, and thanks to the power of social media and um, pretty much Buck Mulligan, um, Concordance has been introduced to us and found his way onto this podcast. So um, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, really glad to have you. Um, so is there anything, like, for anyone who doesn't know you, though, I'm sure that many of our listeners have, like, watched your videos and probably, like, follow you on Twitter and stuff like I do. Um, is there any other like bio information you want to share with our audience? Like, who are you and why why are you doing this, making videos on the internet about science? Um, I, I like to cultivate an air of mystery about myself, but also because I don't want to get fired. Uh, I do yeah. work for a medical type company, but it's not a it's not a pharmaceutical company, it's not a biotech company. We we make a lot more on the research tools side. So part of my job is developing applications for research equipment. So I, I spend my days talking to scientists and doing this amazingly cool stuff. 
and my company would really prefer I not ever talk about it. So <laughs> it's better that I remain anonymous, and they, they did discover me. Uh, my HR has, has had a sit-down with me about the things I can and can't talk about, which takes all the fun out of this. Uh, but they encouraged me to remain anonymous as much as possible. Uh, they said just, you know, from a career perspective, it's better that people don't Google your name and uh, up comes all of this stuff you've done about, you know, cannabis and circumcision. And, you know, some of it's pretty controversial. I want to be able to talk in an uninhibited way, but my first love and my, my passion for this stuff is is all about the science. And if it's not controversial, what what's the point in talking about it? Water's wet, you know? Yeah. The night is dark. Uh, so if, if we can't talk about the controversies, then I'm not interested anymore. Um, well, in terms of biography, um, that's about yeah. as much as I, I usually disclose. Cool. Well, I, that, I think that kind of sums it up and, and why you're here. And I mean, obviously we invited you on because you're a fantastic communicator of the science. Um, and speaking of controversy, well, something that, I mean, I don't necessarily think should be super controversial at this point um, is vaccines um, because, I mean, well, they probably shouldn't be controversial, but they still are based on, I mean, why do you think vaccines are still a hot topic. You know, you could go back in history and there's some beautiful uh, paintings of when vaccines were first sort of deployed. And we're talking here the, the 1930s and 1920s. There was a lot of opposition to them from religious leaders, from religious groups. Uh, a lot of people objected to them because they were you know, meddling in the affairs of God and, and disease was meant to be something that, you know, only the maker had control over. Uh, and then there were people who felt that they were injecting, you know, poisons into their veins or diseases on purpose. And that seems like a very odd concept. You know, the idea of sticking a needle in your arm and inside the needle is a virus. And you think, <laughs> what are we doing here? Why, how is this making me healthier? And I think that raises people... Uh, raises their sort of skepticism about the benefits they might be having. And because the benefits, and I think in many cases we're a victim of the success of vaccines, uh, people don't see the benefits anymore. You don't see children wandering around with polio or, or sitting in iron lungs, you know, staring out the windows. Uh, we, we've kind of put infectious disease as something that happens to other people. That's a, that's a problem for Africa to worry about. And so you've got this combination of something that seems very counterintuitive on a scientific and medical level and something where you, you can't see an immediate benefit. It's not like getting an antibiotic shot and then you feel better two days later. This is like, you know, would I have gotten the flu if I hadn't gotten the flu shot? I, I don't know. Uh, so I think you're, you're asking a lot of people to understand why vaccines are so important to public health. Um, and, and they are also a public health-focused measure. They're all about protecting other people, not just yourself, but providing a break on the, the wildfire effect of viruses ripping through a population. We've got these people who are now immune and can resist the you know, sort of cascade of viral infection.
And so we were very fortunate, I guess, to be in the situation where, you know, I mean, parents kind of look at things like, oh, like, oh, chicken pox, it's not that bad, right? It's like these diseases, no big deal. But I mean, we don't want, you know, infectious diseases to run rampant through society. But I mean, if this kind of culture of anti-vax, you know, continues to, if it snowballs, what kind of effect does that have? Yeah, we've had 50 years of almost complete coverage and you've got people who are now, you know, the, the grandchildren of people who knew what it was to worry about measles, who knew what it was to stay up at night, you know, keeping their, their daughter's body temperature down so that it didn't damage her brain, or worrying about, you know, congenital blindness from um, rubella, from, from any of these viruses that have these profound effects, we just, we don't even think about it. And yeah, it's, it's both a, a success, but it's also a potential pitfall. Um, and, and I really hope that it doesn't take, you know, return to those days to wake people up, uh, because this is one of the most successful measures. Remember that most of the things we vaccinate against are viral diseases, and antibiotics are not going to help you. And we don't have great antiviral drugs and probably won't for a very long time, if ever. So vaccines are almost our only defense against uh, widespread viral disease. And things like measles, which can be potentially fatal and extremely contagious. Contagious to a level that people just, I don't think, understand. Well, and so, you know, this... This kind of culture has has popped up and exists now. This you know, like kind of anti-vax movement. And does that does the, like the modern anti-vaxer movement? Does that stem really from kind of the Andrew Wakefield stuff of the modern anti-vaxer movement? I think it brought it out into the light. You okay. always had people who you know were worried about the vaccines being mind control or you know trying to make the yeah. but that was like in the fringes those were those were unusual people those were um, not mainstream thought. What happened with the it's nineteen ninety eight Lancet paper uh, what actually happened wasn't the results of the paper I, I I can almost guarantee you that none of the initial news reports included uh, an analysis of the paper in which this this data was presented. But this 1998 uh, Lancet paper was then broadcast as a news report, or I'm sorry, as a, uh, a PR statement by Andrew Wakefield. And <laughs> here's the part that really gets me. The paper actually shows no association. <laughs> but what Wakefield did was he went in front of the microphone and he said, you know, I really think we should hold off on the triple jab, that this is something that needs to be investigated further, that there is reason for concern. Even though his data did not support that conclusion, uh, he felt it was suggestive. That so what you're saying... Meet the rigors, we, we think that at a lower level of rigor, there might possibly be something here. So what you're saying is a lying liar lied? <laughs> and then the newspapers picked it up and broadcast it around the world unskeptically, right? They'd never asked, you know, how strong is the evidence on this? The headlines read things like, um, a UK doctor shows link between uh, vaccine and autism, MMR and autism. And he did nothing of the sort. 
Uh, and as we'll, we'll sort of maybe talk about later, is it wasn't even a, a valid study. The, the results of the investigations at this point say that it was fraud and, and callous disregard, which is the title of his book as well. But that was actually one of the findings, was that it, it was openly fraud. The entire paper itself was fraudulent in nature. Well, I mean, in his, his study, like, let, let, let's, let's talk about his study, um, because when you're when you're doing a study about something I mean, or, or anything, and especially if you're going to try to make claims of this magnitude, I mean, don't you want like a large sample size and I don't know, just proper um, experimental procedures? Like, can you talk a little bit about Andrew Wakefield's, you know, I, I mean, I, I would call it study in air quotes, sort of, because there's a lot of bullshit there, right? There, there's a progression. I, I mean, it's not so far outside of the norm that it, it flags itself. There's kind of a progression in science. You start with what's, what's called a case series. Um, I mean, depending on the kind of thing you're studying. If we're studying stars, I'm doing case series. But the idea is to kind of start with a couple of specific cases that seem odd. And that encourages people to do a preliminary pilot study. And then that pilot study, maybe it's on 50 or 100 or 1,000 people, but you need more statistical power, so then you scale up and you do a full you know, epidemiological study, which, which may include 10,000 or 50,000 people. Um, and, and at that level of rigor, you can start to say, you know, there, there really is something here. The pilot study, the initial case series, and now we're at this you know, large population study when things get to that level and you're still seeing a strong effect, that's when even scientists start to say, there is definitely something here. Mm-hmm. What he did, what Wakefield did, was, was a, a case series of 12 children, uh, poorly defined clinically. And I think in any other situation, in any other question, if he were studying... Uh, you know, skin, knees, or uh, diabetes, or or some other non-controversial subject, it would have just been that. It would have turned out to have been a bad study, but it would have just been an early case series. As it was, things were kind of primed for uh, this to explode out onto the scene. And the PR effort that went behind it, the, the way the newspapers participated in spreading the headline without actually spreading the information. You know, scientists were reading these papers and saying, what is, what is the big deal here? Are we, are we missing something? And, and I think that's been one of the lessons that the scientific community has taken out of this, is an understanding that science by press release is not something that responsible scientists should ever do. You should let the information released to the scientific field, let peer review take take its crack at the information before turning it into something that grabs headlines. Um, Anytime you see a study published in a non-scientific journal first, you got to wonder why. You got to ask more questions about why it would, would be that. Because this is such a small series, because it's only 12 children, there really isn't enough power here to detect much of anything. So at best, the outcome for this paper would have been uh, further studies. Mm-hmm. And there were further studies. And I think that's an interesting story as well. I don't know if you guys have... Oh, yeah, please. That. Yeah, I, absolutely. Yes. Um, actually, let, let's go back a step, because I, I think this is really interesting about Wakefield. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is that he started this process up a little bit earlier than the 1998 paper. In 1993, 
he published a paper where he said that measles virus was potentially causing Crohn's disease or inflammatory bowel disease. Mm-hmm. Right? You guys are familiar with IBD? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it is an inflammatory condition of the gut. And, and this guy, this uh, Wakefield guy, is a, he's a gastroenterologist. So that makes perfect sense that he would be studying something like that. But he said he had found measles replication, the measles virus, which most people only get exposed to in the Western world, measles virus through the vaccine. And it is a live virus vaccine. So you get a very weakened form, an attenuated form of measles, which could potentially replicate in the gut, your, your intestines. And so he said that was related to Crohn's disease. And <laughs> no one has ever replicated the findings that he published. Uh, people have tried. And I think uh, we've had papers that refuted that over the last, uh, what is that now, 20 years. Pretty much everyone who has tried to replicate any kind of measles replication in the gut has failed. So already in 93, he was becoming known as someone who was trying to find links between measles virus replication and inflammatory type diseases, right? Yeah, so, so he was so hunting. This, yeah, he, he, was, he was looking for something. And then, and I, I guess then what, he found just enough to be able to at least plant that seed out there in the world that, you know... This could this could be dangerous, and this there could be something here. Um, meanwhile, wasn't he working on his own vaccine too? It, so <laughs> I'm, <laughs> like, I'm glad you went there. I uh, mean, I, like we we have to go there, don't we? Because that's part of his whole story and why he's. I mean, he's such a slime ball. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. and not just his own measles uh, vaccine. So he had applied right. for his own. Uh, single-valent measles vaccine. He denies having done so. Uh, Brian Deere is a journalist who does medical expose. That's all he does in his, uh, for his career. Has, has shown documents, and whether they're authentic or not, I can't, I can't speak to, but everyone seems to accept it except Wakefield and his lawyers. Um, but what happened between 93, when he published his only paper, which showed this really important link between measles virus and Crohn's disease is he, A, applied for a vaccine, uh, which might, <laughs> and the wording in the, in the document so important, might be used to uh, treat patients who have Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease, or regressive autism. Right? <laughs> because so those, those all go sequ- together. Those are all related, right. Yeah. 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 So he already, I think, had in mind which direction he was going. Also, between '93 and '98, uh, he came under the he came into contact with the uh, UK Legal Defense Aid or Legal Defense Fund, um, who began paying him as they're starting to build their case against the uh, the manufacturers of the MMR vaccine. It, all told, by the time the whole thing got you know exposed, he had been paid. Uh, 400,000 British pounds, which I, I don't know what that is. Is it close to a million dollars? Um, so um, not a not a trivial amount of money. I mean, it depends on the day. It depends on if they're right. Brexiting or, or not, I think. <laughs> yeah, non-Brexit, Brexit. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, a considerable yeah, a ch- amount of money. Of money. Right? Even, yeah. even for a gastroenterologist, I think that was that was enough to maybe turn his head. Yeah. So, okay, so he so he's doing hit whatever whatever he's up to um and you know the thing that that really you know gets me i mean we'll get to kind of the 
the anti-vax movement of where it is now and, you know, the, the film vaxed. But the thing that, um, I mean, that really made me want to have you on the show and, and talk to you is um, a video that you did, um, your Wakefield smoking gun video. James Gurney from League of Nerds pretty much was like, Natalie, you have to watch this video because this, like, this is what, I mean, we we all know that there's a lot of bullshit and nonsense behind the Wakefield stuff, but like, I mean, watching this video, and I'd like you to kind of talk about it a little bit, um, what you what you did there is, I mean, he committed scientific fraud, right? In his results of his study, the one that like is in question um, with all the vaccine stuff. He did. I mean, that was the finding of the General Medical Council was that you know, the, the, the study itself wasn't retracted until 2010. So you've got uh, 12 years where it was, was sort of out there and non-retracted. The editors eventually, um, you know, marked it as retracted by the editors uh, because Wakefield refused to retract it, although most of his authors by that, most of his co-authors by that point had issued retractions. Uh, we wish to retract this paper, but until all the authors have signed off on that, they can't, uh, without editorial review, they can't re- uh, retract it themselves. So it was a finding of fraud. It was a finding of uh, violations of research ethics around uh, human subjects. It was um, exposing children to harm. Uh, you know, he had undeclared conflicts of interest. They were, you know, ethical and um, professional conduct violations at multiple levels. Uh, and interestingly, only one other person had charges sort of stick to them. And that was one of his co-authors, uh, and I've forgotten the first name, but its last name's Walker Smith. Uh, and he was exonerated from the fraud portion, but not from a number of the other charges. And in the finding with Walker Smith, uh, they said, you know, you really should have asked more questions. You should have ensured the honesty of the kind of results you were getting, and you sure as hell shouldn't have laid a hand on a child, you know, done a spinal tap, inject a needle into someone's spine without a good clinical reason, without some sort of oversight on the kinds of procedures that are being done to children that are not indicated medically, right, that that are making them healthier. Um, Well, and that that gets into the whole side of the pseudoscience alternative medicine bullshit where they just love doing just extra tests and getting all the, all this data that most of it's meaningless. But of course, you know, like we said earlier, when you go looking for something or you might find something that indicates what you're wanting to find or something that may be slightly outside of what would be considered a normal range. And then all of a sudden now you say, well, now we have this test results or now we have, you know, whatever we were looking for to, and and now, now we can pretend like that's valid evidence, even though we didn't have any, like you said, no indication that the test was even necessary or, or, uh, needed in the first place. Yeah. And And science is hard, right? I mean, science is not an easy thing. If it was, anybody could do it. These tests always test positive falsely, at least a percentage of the time. It's it's a known thing, and, and that's why, you know, you don't go to uh, a doctor's office and then they hand you the results of the test without someone going over them with you, 
you can't just do, for example, an HIV test and, you know, like the pregnancy test where you sort of shake the stick and then you're like, ah, it's two bars. That same thing doesn't happen for HIV because the results have to be interpreted with an understanding of how these tests operate, uh, what the risk factors are, what the potential for false positive is, what the, the prevalence of the disease is in the population. So where I think we were kind of leading towards uh, is the question of when it was fraud and sort of when it wasn't fraud. And <laughs> I want to highlight an incident I think is really interesting uh, that comes, and this is on a non-retracted paper. So this is a paper that is still in publication, has never been marked as fraudulent, but it was one of the outcomes of this investigation into Wakefield. It was an author, a, a paper he was only a co-author on. He was basically providing his samples to this group in Ireland. Okay, uh, and the lab is, is um, I think it's John O'Leary, and it's the Unigenetics Lab. And what's interesting about it is, for me, this was the outcome, the, the finding that was so shocking at the time. They looked for that measles. Remember, that, that Wakefield's model was that measles was replicating in the gut as a result of the vaccine being given, the MMR vaccine's three active attenuated viruses, and the measles virus maybe replicates in the gut, and that causes inflammation, which causes proteins to leak into the blood, which results in autism in the brain, right? And, and he right. had a mechanism for all of that. Yeah. So first step is you have to prove that measles is, in fact, in the gut, right? That's step one. So he didn't have that kind of experience and training in molecular biology. So he went to this, uh, this John O'Leary in Ireland, and there's a, a 2002 paper where they tried to confirm this measles replication. And one of the results of the investigation was an expert and, and kind of a hero of mine in the field of PCR, PCR's polymerase chain reactions, core technique in molecular biology, is they were doing so many things wrong that it's almost hard to know where to begin. Yeah. But their output, their outcome, their, their headline-grabbing result was that in 75 out of 91 patients with uh, intercolitis autism, right, mm -hmm. they found measles virus. But in normal controls, they only found 5 out of 70. So you've got like almost all of your autistic, what they're calling autistic intercolitis patients, are measles positive in their gut. And almost all of the patients who don't have autism have no measles replication in the gut. That's, that's a big deal. Yeah. Right yeah. now, we found the risk right. factor for autism. That, that would have go. been a Nobel Prize right there. Yeah, like that—that that just blows the lid off of everything, right? If that's yeah. real, like that's it. That's it. But unfortunately, uh, the more they looked at the results, they had done absolutely everything wrong. They—they they didn't even use the right kind of materials. Basically, what 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 they found was there was no chance of them ever having detected measles because they were using the wrong kind of uh, enzyme system, the wrong kind of you know reagents that are supposed to be going into this thing, and they weren't even following their own procedures. So there was no chance of them ever having picked up measles. If someone had had a massive measles infection, they would never have seen it. So what they were actually detecting was this contamination from somewhere else in the lab, some DNA contamination rather than the RNA that measles are made of. Just bad technique, they're producing junk. I, I don't think it was fraud. I think it might have been incompetence and misconduct. 
So it, it was incompetence, and I think when uh, you look at it, Wakefield's involvement in this was mostly probably meetings where they talked about the results. Wakefield maybe helped to steer. He gets uh, next to last author, which means he's sort of deferred to the uh, John O'Leary in Ireland. He's deferred to the, the lab director, um, but otherwise is second most in importance in directing the structure of the study. Um, so again, we got very excited. that This was a fairly major outcome. And it wasn't until, you know, a couple of years later that we started to realize that those results were completely invalid. By this point, we're at a fever pitch, right? We've got four years of, you know, headlines in the newspapers. Is it or isn't it? Uh, everybody got very excited. And like you say, the more you look for something, the more likely you are to find it, even if it is a false positive result. Um, and it, it took more sober minds and it took a lot more scrutiny and criticism to finally bring it back to, you know, why didn't we find this in other studies done at the same time in similar populations, other populations, past studies, you know, it never shown up before when exactly the same thing had been done. And all of the positive results all had one thing in common. And what do you guys think it was? The same lab. So all the positive results had one thing. Yeah, right. They all had Wakefield on the as an author of on course, the he, he's there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so his so his name's there. And I mean, I guess though Weird. looking at it's I know it's a funny coincidence, isn't it? And like looking at all of this though, I mean, the amount of time that sort of passed from when he first, you know, kind of comes on the scene and starts talking about this, now we're in the two thousands. The the culture has em- sort of embraced the fact that ma- that maybe there's something to it, right? Like that maybe vaccines cause autism. And like Jenny McCarthy's not looking at the scientific studies, is she? Like or the the follow-up to these scientific studies. Like the anti-vax like rhetorics out there at this point, right? In the in the it, culture. It, as an idea it had built up so much momentum that it didn't yeah. even matter when the evidence for it fell apart. And I, this is, yeah. to me, the most fascinating part of the whole thing. I know yeah. I've already said that a few times, but this is, to me, the overarching principle that I wish we would, as a culture, learn. Even when it was shown that there was no measles replication in the gut, that it wasn't the result of inflammation in the gut resulting in proteins leaking to the brain, which was causing the autism. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly it was all about the mercury. Do you guys yeah. remember this? I mean, you were, you were parents uh, after or maybe around that same time. It was all about mercury, right? Well, because that, that became the new, the new buzz word around, you know, all these problems. Yes, mercury. That's, that's so it. So Wakefield's original model was, hey, you know, leaky gut, measles replication. That never translated. It was just the fact that there's something bad about the MMR. It's a poison. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. And, and so when it was proven that there was no measles replication in the gut, which would have validated Wakefield's hypothesis, which we turns out was based on fraudulent data anyway, yeah. um, then we shifted focus now. Maybe it's thimerosal. Maybe that's what's causing the autism. Well, of course, that hadn't been established. But once it's in the collective conscious that, you know, we need to find out why vaccines are causing autism, ignoring the fact that they don't, uh, then we, right. we, we morphed over to, to thimerosal. Does anyone know the problem with thimerosal well, and that, causing and that's, autism? But, that, but see, but that's scary, right? To use the... Mercury, sure. 
Yeah, because it's like, because people aren't thinking dose makes the poison, are they? They're just thinking this is, this is scary and we're injecting into our, into our children. Right. So, so that, that's the thing though. It's like, they're, they're looking for vaccines to cause autism. And it doesn't matter they, how they, at this point or uh, that that's what I'm trying to like get inside the mind of the anti-vaxxer. It's, and, it's just, it, it, and, and that's why it's, it's a religion because it's, they're just making up the rules as they go, changing the, changing the rules, taking credit for things that may, don't even exist or weren't there before or things that they weren't addressing or concerned about before just whatever suits their narrative and helps, helps, support whatever whatever beliefs that they have is is what they're going to go with and if and if you take out one leg that they have then they're just going to stand on another leg and make more shit up about something else well and that's exactly what happened right so thimerosal was removed from all childhood vaccines uh starting in about 1999 i think the last one was removed in 2001 Right, so thimerosal yeah. as of 2001, the only place you could possibly be exposed to a mercury preservative, and that's what thimerosal is, would be in the seasonal uh, flu vaccine. If you got your kids vaccinated for flu, and only if it's yeah. one of the multi-dose where they pull it out of the the vial, right, and they pull multiple yeah. doses out of the same vial, it's got to have preservatives so that they can keep it, you know, uh, from growing bacteria, which you then inject into your child. That would be a really bad deal. So children are no longer being exposed to mercury and thimerosal, and yet, you know, autism remains. We haven't solved the problem. Plus, you know, there have been a number of studies where they've demonstrated that when a, when a country went, you know, from thimerosal to away from thimerosal, there was absolutely no change in the autism rates. So that theory goes sort of out the window. It becomes harder and harder to defend. So you guys know what the current uh, complaint is. Anyone know what the... The current you know, toxic substances. See, I I don't even know if uh, I aluminum. if I do it this way. Is it? It is, is aluminum. It? Is it That's aluminum? right. Aluminum. Okay. Aluminum. So now we're all very concerned about aluminum. But again, none of the previous theories worked, and there's no phenomenon to explain because there's not actually an increase in autism rates as a result of vaccinations. It's been demonstrated time and time again. But they're bad, and if if it can't yeah. be mercury anymore, now it has to be aluminum. Except and there's so another then, problem. Yeah. You guys know what the problem is with MMR and aluminum? Oh, I, I don't. There I don't is know. no aluminum in the MMR oh, vaccine. So, so then, then what, what's the explanation that now that, you know, provides the autism MMR vaccine link? Where, where do you go with that? Or, or just vaccines? They don't know CDC, CDC whistleblower? Yeah, CDC whistleblower. Uh, and let's not forget too many too soon. Too yes, many too that, soon right, has got that, a lot of purchase. Yep. Yeah. The, the guy that they put words in, literally basically put the word, words in the mouth of in, in the film and said made, made him say shit that he didn't actually say and took him out of context on the things that he said. Yeah. But, you know, yep. but I, I will, I will tell you, like, when I, my yeah. kids are, um, oh, God. Like the too many too soon thing. Like my kids are um are three and a half and two. And I remember when my my three and a half year old was born, a uh, a fellow parent um 
took me aside and she was like, so um, what, what are your thoughts about vaccinating? I'm like, well, no shit, he's getting vaccinated. Like, you know, that I have a great pediatrician, everything's cool. And she's like, you might, you need to read and do some research because they're giving too many too soon. And I'm like, cool, No. back away slowly, smile and leave. Um, Because Mm -hmm. no, Um, but, but that's out there. That message, I mean, it's either don't, there's the message of don't vaccinate, obviously, but there's also this message that delayed a delayed schedule or whatever is would give positive outcomes, but but that that's not actually true, is it? No, and and the thing is that the number of antigens, the number of actual things that your immune system has to react to, has gone down dramatically in the last sixty years. So it's been a, a continuous decrease process, even though the number of shots has gone up the challenge to the immune system has actually gone down. And that's because we're no longer giving, you know, whole killed cells. We now know what it is that the immune system needs to recognize. We only give that one particular component to the immune system to generate the right kind of antibodies that are going to protect us against that disease. So the antigenic load has actually gone down. It's gone opposite to whatever trend they think autism is experiencing. Uh, so that doesn't make any sense either. And again, how does this all work yeah. in, in, in the absence of other factors? How is it that you know, too many is resulting in any kind of negative outcome? But of course, it gets echoed around. Donald Trump uh, tweeted mm-hmm. out that, you know, hey, maybe we shouldn't cram them full of so many vaccines. There you go. And it's like, yeah, and it's like, well, um, first of all, no, I'm not. Well, I'm not going to take any advice from that um, <laughs> uh, creature. But um, but also just just no, don't don't speak on that kind of thing without any any evidence well, he, to support that. He, he's also he's also BFFs with Alex Jones, so I mean that yeah. tells you most of most of what you need to know there about him. Well, and climate right, warming I mean, is a hoax, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, right. I mean, well, we we were mentioning crank magnetism before, right? Just yep. the, just those two gentlemen make me think about that. I mean, it's like these people, whether you're anti-vax or you're, you know, denying climate change or you're a creationist or you're a flat earther or whatever whatever your your particular thing is, you likely have another thing and you're likely not necessarily basing all of your worldviews in reality and evidence, right? So that's, I mean anti-vaxxers right there they're not they're not basing their decisions to like not vaccinate their children on reliable data and and evidence they're just looking or i mean are they even looking for a reason or they just hold on to these really deeply held beliefs yeah this is something michael Shermer has talked about how intelligent people don't hold more true beliefs it's that intelligent people defend their beliefs more effectively, right? They're better at rationalizing whatever conclusion they started with, and then they have this intelligence they can use to connect the dots so that they protect themselves from ever having to expose their ideas to the possibility of being wrong. So we think we're smart, and that makes us good at deciding what's true and false. In fact, it just makes us really bad at deciding what's true and false, and it's the process of science that exposes ideas to risky predictions 
the possibility that they are wrong. Once they are wrong, every scientist faces a very uncomfortable situation. And I have been there, and I can tell you about it, uh, of admitting that something that they passionately believed or tried not to passionately believe, but had brought themselves, had persuaded themselves, was likely true, is not true, is false. And you have to accept it. And some scientists never get over that hurdle. And, and that leads them down a very dark path. They, the, the only true evil scientists are the ones who cannot accept that reality is the ultimate arbiter of what is real. Right? We have to accept nature for what it is and not what we want it to be. So I mean, is that is that Andrew Wakefield, or I mean, is he is he that Absolutely. and just a and and see, I guess with him, it's like I, he's obviously that, but then is he also kind of just milking this for all it's worth? He is, yeah, he's in it just every step of the way. He's been trying to make money and profit off of his his own vaccine patent, and then that fell through. But he's still defending it now. He, he made the documentary or. I don't even want to call it a documentary, but he makes makes his whatever that piece of shit is, and, and he's making money off of that now, and that's that's all he's done. That's the only consistent feature that ends in him not supporting any any of his ideas based based in actual tangible repeatable evidence. Well, and and I think I mean ha- having watched um, having watched that movie, that what strikes me the most, um, I mean, obviously, is that. He, I mean, he's holding to, to this, you know, message that he's been putting out for all this time. But I feel like it's being done at the expense of people who are actually, like, kind looking of suffering and looking yeah. for answers. Um, I mean, Concordance, did you, you've watched some of the movie, right? Yeah, a little bit of it. Like, so, I mean, they're, I just, watching it and seeing these parents who are talking about, um, you know, like the light going out of the eyes of their children. And, you know, one, the woman, I think her name was Polly Tommy. She says something, you know, she talks about her kids as being vaccine damaged and says at one point, it's not my, like something's not my concern. Like my kids already damaged. Like they're putting out this message into the world that maybe a parent of a child who has autism will see and be like, oh, well, shit, like my, my child is damaged too because I chose to get them vaccinated. Or I, I don't know. And how fucked up is that to refer to a child that has any sort of disability as damaged? Like how fucked up is that? Well, it, it just, the, I don't know. I just feel like the, the narrative that, that Wakefield has, has spun from all of this, um, all of his work or what, you know, research or whatever, um, and his status as, as a disgraced scientist. I mean, I think it's a, it's a really dangerous narrative to put out into the world. They, they've interviewed his, I mean, as part of the GMC investigation, they interviewed some of his, his students, basically the people that worked in his lab, his technicians. And there was a kind of a common refrain, which is that in lab meetings, when they were discussing their findings for the week or the month or whatever, um, Dr. Wakefield always dismissed anything that was, you know, going to create additional conflict or didn't fit in with work that they were they were doing. So it kind of indicates someone who was already predisposed to be a bad scientist. And to be honest, you know, being a gastroenterologist does not necessarily predispose you to be a scientist. At that point, you've you've got more clinical training than scientific. Um, yeah. And you know, majority of of clinicians who also do research are quite good at it. But not all, and it's always the case. 
Um, in my case, I actually spent most of my grad career trying to identify a function for this one tiny little protein and this one weird little virus. And I, I had built my, you know, three years worth of, of dissertation around this, you know, homology to this other virus. And it turned out not to be true. It turned out to be kind of an evolutionary quirk that had no, there was no theme to it. There was no interesting bang at the end. And it wasn't that publishable. And it, it put me in a very awkward situation of having to pick a new project and start over in grad school. And I'll be honest, you cling to that idea for as long as you possibly can. In his case, it took his career down. It, it took his ethical sense away. And I'm sure he rationalizes everything he did as you know, helping children, as uh, benefiting humanity. And he's built a cult around himself, or a cult has formed around him, and they've insulated him from the possibility of being a monster. I, I'm sure he sleeps well at night. Um, it's, it's the way of things. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, I mean, there's this, this, and you, you know, this cult of, of people around this movement and who are saying that, you know, vaccines are causing autism and they're, they're toxic and they're unnatural and just all of these things. Yet aren't some of these, the same people who are using like MMS to mm-hmm. try to cure their children of autism, like I, I mean, I, I, it, yeah. it's so- they, yeah, and, and for people who don't know what MMS, it's uh, it's miracle mineral solution. So you want you know you want your actual medicine to refer to itself as miracle. <laughs> That's how you know it's going to work. <laughs> well, yeah. but it's. It just is mind-boggling. It's bleach, by the way. It's sodium bleach. bleach. Yeah, it's bleach. yeah, yeah. That's it's the other bleach. part. It's, it's, bleach. <laughs> it's bleach. And and like, I mean, I, I might am I wrong in when I say like when they're using this? I mean, children's like, is it like their intestinal lining like coming out yeah. of their body? Yeah. Am yes. I right? I, yes. I mean, I, I I hate I hate to know that um, that that is a thing that exists in the world that people are doing. Because they think that, like they're they're going to cure their child's autism. They think, they think they're worms, is what they, or some sort of some sort of parasite, is what they think they are. And to 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 me, like as as long as these people have been around, and it's been like multiple years. If if that is the case, if it, if there is some sort of parasite that causes it, why the hell wouldn't you send that off to a lab, have it analyzed, have it have it looked at by people that actually know something about medicine and about anatomy, and have them say, oh no, that's not a parasite. It's your kid's fucking intestinal lining. You monster. You're abusing your child. You're going to kill your child doing this. But but uh, look at the complexity of this and, and how rationalized it must be. We started with autism's caused by measles replication in the gut, and then we went to mercury, and then we took mercury away, and then suddenly it's aluminum, except it turns out MMR doesn't have any aluminum in it, and so then it's too many too soon. It, you will have a conference, an anti-vaccine, autism one, whatever conference, where you will have people agreeing with each other about mutually exclusive ideas. And I see this in so many areas of science denialism. There, there are, for example, people out there who believe that HIV doesn't exist and AIDS is some sort of chemical exposure 
or some mass hysteria or punishment from God, any kind of number of things, but they don't believe that HIV exists or that it causes AIDS. And yet there are two camps. One camp believes that uh, HIV does exist, but it's a completely harmless virus, has, causes no disease whatsoever. And then you've got a second camp within the same group who believe that HIV doesn't exist, it's entirely an artifact of a laboratory, right? These two people meet in a room together and have these wonderful conferences, except that half of them think that the other half are completely bonkers, right? And yet they both support each other in every way they can. So here we've got people who now think it's too many too soon, or it's the aluminum, or it's the uh, formaldehyde. That's a whole new one, right? All these other components, and we're going to attribute each of these as causative, but the, the theories that they've come up with are mutually exclusive from each other, and yet they cross-support each other. They, they will happily bring in a speaker who thinks that they are nuts so long as they're anti-vaccine. So there's a transference from trying to figure out what's actually going on to kind of an in-group, out-group mentality, Kind of a uh, yeah, general rejection of medical science. The, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. Exactly. Because is it, is it just like, you know, for some of them, it's probably like, well, anything but big pharma. Like they, or they, right. find, they find their, which, their common enemy. And- which is something that blows me away with as much as the alternative medicine, like every, every single one of these, like David Wolf, Mercola, whoever, every single one of these assholes has an online store where you can buy all these different supplements. And I don't understand, I, I just don't understand how people can go, no, I'm not going to give my doctor who has actually gone to medical school, had residency, like put in a shit ton of work into getting, getting the, those, that, the MD after his name. Instead, I'm going to go with Zen Honeycut. I'm going to buy this, you know, anti glyphosate, whatever thing that she sells on her website for like fifty five dollars a bottle. I'm going to I'm going to give my money to this person for something that's just completely made up. Well, they. I mean, this the modern day snake oil salesman is pretty brilliant. I mean, I think that they're they're crafting what I don't know what what people seem to want and crave, which is this you know, like uh, what, like holistic or really personal, natural, like using all those buzzwords to get to people that makes them feel something like they, they want to, I mean, I, I don't necessarily get it personally, but I think that there's, there's this compelling story that they're selling people about their health and about their well-being, about their children and about like, you know, the vast conspiracies that are working against all of us. And I don't know, I, I think they they are brilliant salespeople um, that are taking advantage of vulnerable and gullible individuals at times. I don't know. But I guess like, are, do we just have a really big problem with like scientific illiteracy or people just embracing their own i don't i don't know if ignorance is even the right word but it's there's something that is causing probably like otherwise intelligent people to fall for a lot of nonsense yeah i i, I think there's a lot of that i i think i think it's a lot to ask of people because so much of science journalism, uh, and I, I maybe should put some air quotes around that, so much of journalism reporting on scientific topics uh, uses the standard 
sort of two sides model and uh, you're always are, are looking you referring, for... Are you referring to how men are wimps because they had to cancel the birth control trial? Are you <laughs> to things like that? Things like that, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you know, is the Earth uh, a, a globe as has been previously thought? Uh, our guest doesn't think so, right? And so you get this conflict uh, narrative that is so much more interesting and the headlines always reduce what could be a very complex... Again, I think Wakefield's study was probably started with you know an actual case study in mind it just was such a controversial topic that it it mushroomed out of out of control um but the well and we don't we don't like we don't like things that are ambiguous we like things that are either black or white we like dichotomies and even even if there isn't one and that's why that i i mean that's why like that article on well, men couldn't handle the side effects of it. Well, no, it's it's much more complicated than that, but that's not going to fit in the context of a headline. And we're, we can have like a three-hour discussion about <laughs> about clickbait headlines and shit like that and their contributions to to this, all, all, all of this. Even even the idea of like the CDC whistleblower, look at look yeah. at that as a as a narrative, right? Now you've got sort of what sounds like, you know, tawdry backdoor spy. In fact, what it was is some guy did a subgroup analysis and talked about how other people did a different subgroup. These stupid statistical games uh, made it sound a lot more exciting and controversial than it actually is. One person did a proper statistical analysis and another person didn't, and they got a false result. And that's the result that we're all very unhappy about, that perhaps African-American boys who were vaccinated late have slightly higher than normal uh, autism rates. Well, that was never part of any of the theories we've already talked about. It had nothing to do with Wakefield or mercury or aluminum. So we just keep reinventing. And, and this, <laughs> this leads me to something that I've recently discovered, a principle that I, I, I will probably end up having to get tattooed on myself. Um, and that's this Brandolini's law, right? <laughs> the amount of energy needed to refute bullshit is an order of magnitude bigger than it is to produce it. That is so, so true. Right? Every time they shift, every time someone in a science denialist position comes up with some explanation that has not yet been debunked, it takes 10 times as long to refute it. it it's the reason why you guys may have heard of the, um, oh, what the hell is his name? The, the tactic of uh, just spitting out claims, just rapid fire. Like, I, I think I know what you're talking about, yeah. and I'm completely blanking oh. on what it's called <laughs> <laughs> anyway creationists Anyways, have used that, this for many thing. years yes. they'll throw out you know 20 claims in one short speech and then it's up to <laughs> yeah. the scientists to say well no that's not actually true and here's why for each of the 20 points it's the same thing every time they come up with something new maybe it's the antifreeze in the vaccines well we have to go through this process of okay no it's not the antifreeze and here's why uh, here's the studies that we've done on this. Here's the work. You know, it took us six months to put this population together, another three months to get it published and peer-reviewed. And what do they do on the internet the very next day? Suddenly it's, you know, the size of the needle or it's right. the trauma in Right. It's, it's, something, it's something else because while, you know, the scientists are trying to do the science because that, I mean, that's just what, what people want to do. If, if there is a claim, like let, let's refute it the right way. But so do you think that, do you, is there any way to convince, like, 
you know, can you can you convince a flat earther that the earth is not flat? Can you convince an, a, you know, a fervent anti-vaxxer that vaccines don't cause autism? Like, or do are there certain people that just have such like ingrained viewpoints that they're always going to find the next thing? Like, you know, from thimerosal to mercury to or to, to aluminum to whatever. Like, is that is that just how it's going to go? Or can we like can we change that at all? I I'm a subscriber to a a theory called cultural cognition. Uh, the idea is that we don't accept things from anonymous sources. We accept them from the networks that we consider ourselves to identify with. So, for example, if you belong to um, a, a group, let's say skeptical moms, right? Mm -hmm. And you belong to this group, you're more likely to find credible evidence presented in that forum. If you are a strong Republican, uh, you go to church every Sunday, and your friends, your your social network, not necessarily the, the Twitter or the Facebooks, but literally the people that you interact with, they have more influence on you than what you read in the newspaper because when you read in the newspaper, you're much more likely to filter it through your cultural identity. And when something becomes part of your cultural identity, when it, when it, when it defines you, I am an anti-vaxxer. Or, of course, they never say that. I'm, right, of course. Uh, I green like- the vaccines or whatever the appropriate, too many too soons. Once you've yeah. identified with that camp, any information that comes in is is rejected almost out of hand, right? Almost uh, without any consideration. So I don't know how you get across to those people unless you start from within their cultural identity. And, and that may mean something like if you want to talk climate change to evangelical Christians, you have to use the language of an evangelical Christian. And it's even more important or more effective if it's coming from someone who is themselves an evangelical Christian. Here's what we need to do to preserve God's creation. And you and I, maybe that makes us a little bit uncomfortable, but it actually works. As opposed to, hey, look, I'm a scientist. I know this stuff cold. I've got a PhD in immunology. Um, don't be stupid, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because then you're challenging yeah. their their identity, their culture, right. and, mm-hmm. and, you're, and of you're course going they're going to reject yeah. that, right? And you're going in in like almost like not aggressive's not the right, but like you're just you're just putting it out there now. Okay, so here's a question, a practical question for for me while we're talking about this. So I'm I'm making this documentary science moms about, you know, it's essentially a a pro evidence-based parenting vibe to it, you know, pro vaccines and, you know, biotechnology is not, is not the devil. It's a good thing. And like, you know, just a, a practical parenting thing. Do I, do I try to, you know, make some ins with some of the more crunchy, you know, those kind of moms and see if. I I think you have to bring in people who people from that group will identify yeah. with or will see as credible yeah. and you have to do it by little steps. Yeah. So I, I don't know for, from the outside, if you can change a culture, I, I think right. that's really kind of what right. we're getting down to. Yeah. Um, mostly you rally the supporters. <laughs> mostly you preach to the choir. You preach to the choir. And then I guess you try to go for the ones that are kind of on the fence, right? right. 
Like right. you're like I'm I'm not going to change anybody's mind from like March against Monsanto because I I mean I'm you know I'm you know I've already been called a shill even though it's untrue but you know like it that's that those minds are not going to change but I guess yeah I guess you preach to the choir and anybody who might kind of be listening on the sidelines and yep. and just hope that maybe you know like you reach one person and then maybe they reach another person and I guess patience and kindness and all of that can kind of go a long way in some ways with this stuff. But, but man, it can be frustrating sometimes too. Yeah, I bet. And that's, that's the reality of it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it tells you a lot about like Jenny McCarthy uh, being the head of this anti-vax group. Why? Why does she have such appeal? I mean, what, what are her credentials as a, as a leader? She's pretty. She was on singled out for a while. <laughs> well, I mean, she. <laughs> that's all I got. She, I mean, that's no. That's my I, no well, I mean, she she played the um the mom role. You know, the the mom who cared about or cares about her child more than anything, right? So, can't everybody relate to that? And so, she's a compelling figurehead to this. Um, you know, somebody who's kind of out there searching for answers when, you know. Again, hard to relate, but but yeah, I think I think that's that's what it is. They find these people, these celebrities that God, I mean, yeah, I can't I can't really think of of much else about her that would make her compelling other than she's a recognizable figure, but who who really used her motherhood as like the badge of honor that she would wear in this fight. And, you know, people like this. I mean, is she an underdog story because she's kind of speaking out against, you know, the big pharma conspiracy? I don't know, but but they she's she's really become something in this very strange, you know, kind of dangerous uh, movement here. But like, wh- what do you think? Like, concordance? Like, is that? Do you think that's why she just is this compelling enough figure, and they needed that? Yeah, I think uh, she has been in magazines that the target demographic here read. She's white. She's pretty. She's, uh, you know, not wealthy, wealthy necessarily, but definitely, you know, lower upper class, upper middle class, that, that kind of demographic. And look, that's where this thing has, has really taken off. And I don't think that's a coincidence and I don't know which causes which, but she sort of defines a culture of stay at home moms who love their kids very much worry about them all the time, are intelligent enough and wealthy enough to have choice in healthcare and want to be, you know, hovering into uh, their child's healthcare. And, you know, you don't see the same trends outside of that, that particular demographic. But that's sort of an idea of who she appeals to it makes her the kind of leader. Her background certainly does not. I mean, a, a Playboy bunny is not who you would think would sort of lead off the anti-vaccine movement. She has no scientific credentials, and her only involvement is as a mother and as a vulnerable person and as a, you know, again, that, that particular demographic that she seems to appeal to. So you, you almost have to find her equal but opposite number, a group of, you know, scientists with lab coats on, are probably not going to swing the needle on this thing 
because they'll be viewed as outsiders, as you know, judgy. They won't be viewed as sympathetic, and that's why these movies like like Vaxed um, are all about this sort of um, what is it? Is it ethos appeal? I always get the the two mixed up. The idea of an emotional appeal, something core to what it is to be a mom and to be worried about yeah. your kids, uh, and it seems to spread out from there. Yeah, well, and that's, yeah. A, that's absolutely what it's. I, I think the majority of it is their opinion is based in emotion. And so that's, that's why just in my personal experience, uh, we'll, we'll say discussing things online, they're, they're so quick to become hostile towards others uh, because their opinion is based in emotion. And that's why giving them facts and actual data and evidence isn't very effective because they're they're not they're not coming from a place based in facts. They're coming from a place based in emotion. And that's why I think you know kind you know of what shifting I think is interesting a little bit is yeah. actually what does cause autism. Do you, do you guys have any sense of what the actual science shows? You talked about paternal age um, on the League of Nerds. I don't know if that like plays anything. I don't know. So what's interesting about autism is what we actually do know causes autism. You know, we we do have research on this. What do the scientists actually say? You know, none of them at this point are saying that it's anything to do with vaccines. But we do have good candidates. For example, uh, autism has a very strong hereditary component, which could include genetics or epigenetics. There's other components to that. But if you are related to someone with an ASD, uh, an autism spectrum disorder then you are more likely to have an ASD, an autism spectrum disorder as well. So there's a hereditary relatedness component, and it may account for the 60 to 90% of the differences we see in the rates of autism in particular groups. So that's a really high level. So we know at least some of it okay. is going to be genetic, potentially you know, around the genetics or the epigenetics, uh, and there's also rare chromosomal events that occur. We know those occur more often when the parents are older, right? Uh, at the time that the baby is born, if, if mom is, say, older than 35, if dad is older than 40, that the rates go up into the highest risk category. So there's an increasing, almost linear relationship between the age of the father, and it's mostly the father, uh, that determines the level of risk. It kind of plateaus out for the, for the mom. Uh, the age at which the baby is born. So if there is an increase in autism, uh, rather than it being the result of, say, vaccination schedules, a much more likely candidate, in my mind, is the possibility that we're having kids at later ages, that people are starting families a little bit later in life. And we would predict, in fact, that that would increase the rates of autism in the U.S. and, and you know, European populations. But that's not something that you'll hear on the mommy blogs or on the anti-vax discussions. Uh, and I don't know why. What, what do you guys think? Why, why, why isn't the actual science being discussed in the same forums? The science is hard. I mean, like, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but, but perhaps, but I, but I don't know. It seems like there's already been this narrative that has been picked up and these, these facts don't, just don't fit with it. So let's discard that and ignore that and continue down this path of, you know, 
let's be the most natural parents we can be. Let's let's throw away the vaccine. So so I don't know. I I think it just it does it doesn't fit with the story that they're already telling. And so that's why I think this other side of things, like it's kind of up to people who are trying to communicate the science or giving or like, you know, just what we do, kind of giving a place for people to communicate the science to get these messages out, out as much as possible to just offer a balance to the, I don't know, the bullshit stories, maybe. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what really is needed is to replace the bad theories with good science. Uh, I would I would love to see that happen. I don't know what the likelihood is. I'm kind of happy to be part of that process if I can be, uh, trying to sort of spread more information around that is correcting the misinformation. Not just debunking, but I think there's another step beyond that, and that is more into how do we fill the void created by forcing people to abandon these these cherished conspiracy theories that they've identified with. It's become part of their culture, their cultural identity. Um, yeah, I think that's where shows like this one, where shows where we, we can talk about science, uh, YouTube science channels like mine, uh, people on Twitter, people on Facebook, yeah. have a role to play, right? They have an opportunity to yeah. not just correct the misinformation, but to help to inform and enlighten people on what the science actually says, right? Not just calling someone else wrong, but hey, here's what we do know. Um, there's still areas yes. we don't know, but yeah. here's what, what is known. And I think, I think part of that, though, is there's a lot that we don't know, and people don't like admitting that they don't know things. And so if you say, well, That's we true. know, because we, we don't know 100% what, you know, we, we know what cor- things that correlate and risk factors for things like autism, but we don't know what exactly mechanism causes autism. Like, we have an understanding, but we don't know what exactly causes it. And so it's much easier for somebody to say, well, you, you scientists, you, you're so stupid. It must be formaldehyde. It must be aluminum. It must be, you know, we, I'm a Pisces. So, and, and he's a squirrel or I don't even know what, what's another Taurus. There we go. <laughs> and, you know, whatever's convenient, whatever sounds good and whatever makes sense to them. And then they get, you know, and they, they can run with that instead of saying, instead of just saying, well, it's okay to not know things sometimes, but we're getting progressively and more and more closer. Yeah, but I think it is, it's for, for us and, you know, everybody else who does this kind of thing, it's just about continuing to, to do it, right? And, um, and that's, that's the best that we can do to kind of do our part to, to shift the, the thinking, if possible. And so Concordance, I just want to say thank you for coming and talking to us about all of this and being, you know, generally brilliant in this whole process. And um, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah. And we'll have links to all of this too oh, good. in our notes. But So I, I do have a YouTube yeah. channel, uh, neglected a little bit recently. Uh, and I have a Twitter, uh, I, I'm on Twitter, I guess you say. Um, and that's it. Those are the only two places you can find me. Um, but I, I do make uh, videos on yeah. science and skeptical topics, uh, occasionally non-belief, but mostly mostly related to science and skepticism. Some stuff that's interesting and controversial, I hope. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. I, I kind of yeah. all over the place. Yeah, he's, he's all over the internet. And um, I would love to have you come back sometime and talk about cannabis if you are so oh, I'd love to. So, uh, 
Yeah. Because that's not controversial at all. Uh, yeah. So, so hopefully um, we've been all right enough that you will agree to come back some other time and, um, you know, do this again. So thank you so much for coming and uh, or, or staying where you are and just talking to us. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll do this again. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. So the reason that we love the internet this week, um, I was going to pick a meme page, whatever. Instead, I think be- with, you know, Thanksgiving tomorrow, because this is coming out on Wednesday, um, I guess we just love the internet because for real, like for all of you who listen to the show, right, Dan, like let's thank these people for somehow sticking I should say, with us. The people, the people who hate listen to the show, yeah. like you can go fuck yourself but like the people that like you know that actually listen because you enjoy it uh, I mean that's just it's rad a, it's weird it's awesome it's weird it's, to me yeah like it, it's really but cool but also yeah exactly it's it's really neat it's it's just been a fun experience for us to do and here we are what this is episode 26 we're on 26 and, and like you know we get we get really great compliments sometimes like the one person who once told me that I have a not annoying voice, like that, that made my life. So, so I, Joe, I, Joe I thank you. you. You're going to get, you get a little shout out because he has listened to every episode of the show. So um, yeah. to everyone who's listened to all of these episodes or even just a handful, like it's really cool and thank you. And we're going to just keep doing this because it's, you know, it's something special to us and hopefully you guys continue to get something out of it too. So Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Dan, give him a happy Thanksgiving or something. Or just happy a, Thanksgiving. Happy. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> we could, we, we, like, if we were, if we were real skeptics, mm-hmm. we would go on a whole, like, spiel about how the entire idea of Thanksgiving. I know. Is kind of- I was, I was just about to, but then I stopped myself. Like, so let so just pretend everybody that right now we ended up going on like a twenty minute rant about how it's there's a lot of bullshit and whatever. But let's just say like we're gonna we're just gonna, and, yeah. and then yeah right and then I would I would have tied it all into uh, the the pipeline and in yeah. what what whatever yeah. is happening there. But, but you know what I yeah, hear? Let's like, keep it, I let's hear, keep it upbeat. Let's keep I, it happy. Yeah, and I, I hear, I hear footsteps not, and not, upstairs. Not, not about like, how the UN is going to yeah. need to intervene. All right. So, uh, in, so, anyways, uh, I, yeah, like we're we're not going to say all that stuff. We love you guys, and and so that's that's where I that's where I bring it, and I can also offer a good quote at some point. So you know. We are especially thankful for all of our patrons as well. This includes James, Alice, Chris, Sarah, Janet, Amanda, Astrid, Andrew, Jeff, and all four of the Michaels we have now. I don't. I, we're cornering the market on Michaels uh, for patrons, apparently. But uh, we I thank all of them very much for their continued support. And if you want to help us out as well, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash TSE podcast. You'll get early access to episodes, extended interviews most of the time as we do them. I promise I'll get caught up on the last two that we have done. You can also find our full podcast archive at scienceenthusiast.com slash category slash podcast. And if you have hate mail or love letters you want to send us or, yeah, I mean, you take nudes too, send them to podcast at com. 
and also check out the podcast page on Facebook. Follow Natalie's page, Skeptical Parenting, and myself as a science enthusiast. Natalie, would you be so kind as to give us a quote? Yeah. Isn't it enough to see that a garden is beautiful without having to believe that there are fairies at the bottom of it too? And that is um, Douglas Adams. So, you know, life's pretty cool. Everything's pretty beautiful without having to assign, you know, some weird creator thing to it. So next week we will be back with a great interview with Brit Hermes and um, hope everybody has, has a good like Thanksgiving weekend and um, you know, see you back next week. I'm going to go make sure that my children are, I don't know, like not getting into shit. So Dan, it's been fun. I'm going to go install some tile. (laughs) All right. Bye. music you heard tonight was written and performed by adam johnson and was used with his permission you can contact adam at adamjohnsondc at gmail.com this podcast is property of not narrow or straight llc all rights reserved